Hey. Before we get started, I want to just give a quick announcement. Um, here in a couple of weeks, we're going to be holding a covenant partner class. Um, this is what we call membership here at Grace Point Church. And so this is an opportunity for you to hear uh, Grace Point's story, our vision, our values, and uh, determine if you want to define the relationship, if you will. Uh, this is your opportunity to determine if you want to commit to partnering with us to make disciples of Jesus that live in community for the community. And so if that is your next step here at Grace Point, I want to encourage you to scan the, the third QR code in the seat back in front of you and join us on Sunday, May 21st. It's from 2 to 5 p.m. over in the Family Center, so get on that. Uh, hey, good morning. Uh, if, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Matt. Uh, I don't preach often, but when I do, it is a pleasure. It's an honor to do so. And today we are talking about the wrath of God. Yeah. I, I hope you brought your loins and you're ready to gird them. Um, uh, all the fires, all the brimstones. Yes. Um, I didn't choose this text. Uh, just to be clear, this, this text chose me. Uh, and honestly, that's one of the benefits of being a part of Grace Point Church, because 90% of the time, we are just working through a book of the Bible. And if we come across a passage that we're like, okay, not super comfortable with this or don't fully understand it, uh, this is our opportunity to wrestle together with this text, to see what God is showing us and how God is shaping us by his word. And so our text today is, uh, as Emily read for us, Romans 1, 18 through 23. So to prepare yourself, a little sneak peek, um, listen to this. This is a true story. A few years ago, a campus ministry group in one of the larger universities in the United Kingdom was seeking to reach students with the truth of the gospel. So they printed out the words of Romans 1, 18 through 32 in a contemporary format with no verse numbers. They did not specify the source. Uh, they, it was simply written as if these words were composed in the 21st century. Soon after the document was distributed, the leaders were called to go before the university authorities. The students were told in no uncertain terms that they would be censored for their offensiveness. And the authorities demanded that the students produce the author of this offensive piece of writing. So that's what we have on the docket for this morning. And if you're wondering, how's this going to go? Let's find out together, shall we? So uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Romans. It's in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, uh, all of our leading and teaching and preaching is from the Bible. And so you're going to need one here at Grace Point. We've got some on the tables in the front and the back. We're going to have the scriptures on the screen for you, but I want to encourage you to have, have it in your hands. Um, if you want to download the, the YouVersion app on your smartphone, you can find events. You can actually get a sneak peek on the, the, the notes here of the sermon this morning. Uh, if you're new here, I would say, hey, you picked a great week to join us. Uh, the wrath of God, awesome. Uh, good job. Uh, we're actually just three weeks into a, a year-long journey through the book of Romans, and so you really are joining us at a good time. Jump on the train here uh, as we work through this letter. Uh, my, my aim today is not to give you just fire and brimstone. It's to give you the gospel. It's to give you the good news. And as we work through these verses, what, what we'll see is that the gospel reveals a rescuing God. That the gospel reveals a righteous God. And yes, the gospel reveals a wrathful God. And we have to hold these things in tension. 
right? And the, the degree to which we hold these things in tension, both God's righteousness and his wrath, is the degree to which we will enjoy the sweetness of a foolproof gospel. So are you ready? All right, me too. Let's get our eyes on the text, uh, Romans 1, 18 through 23. I would say let's start at verse 18, um, but if you look at verse 18, just briefly, you'll see that it starts with the word for, which means that it flows from verses 16 and 17. So we have to back up and just do a quick refresher. We covered these verses last week, um, but as we review verses 16 and 17, we will quickly see just a couple of points emerge. So walk, walk with me first through verses 16 and 17. I'll read it for us. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, meaning that's everybody. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And I want to start with these two points drawn from these two verses right here. Uh, that the gospel reveals a rescuing God, and the gospel reveals a righteous God. And so let's put it in reverse just a little bit. We're going to work backwards through verses 16 and 17, starting with 17. The righteousness of God is revealed where? In the gospel, right? It says, in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And why does God reveal his righteousness? The last part of verse 17, it says, the righteous shall live by faith. He reveals his righteousness to give life. How does one live? What does it say? By faith. How does one receive faith? It's through the righteousness of God. And how does God display the, his righteousness? Through the gospel, right? Now we can see here as in verse 16, the gospel, it is the power of God for salvation. He, it's his power to save. It's his power to rescue us. That is where we have life. And we can see here that God is a rescuing God. He is a righteous God. And these things are pretty easy to accept, right? That's some good news. Like, more of that, please. Yes, please. They're palatable. And now we turn to verses 18 through 23. Um, it, have, have any of you seen a, um, like a makeover show, like Extreme Home Makeover, or all the spinoffs like the Dream, dream Homes? I, I would argue that in all of those shows, the very best part is the, is the big reveal at the end, right? It's like, you know, the, the, the harps are playing and the, everything's chiming and people are weeping and there's this beautiful new house. And uh, I would argue that you don't really know how nice the house is unless you see just how bad it was beforehand, right? It could be a really nice looking house, but it loses that, that wow factor if you, don't, if you don't see where it came from. And similarly, the, the gospel is really, it really is good news. And its goodness will be made sweeter against the backdrop of our main text for today. So let's read verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
We already said that the, the gospel reveals the righteousness and the, and the rescuing nature of God, but here we see the gospel reveals a wrathful God. And verse 18 starts, again, with that word for. It's that connecting word for kind of clues us in that there's a tie between uh, verse 17, that the righteous shall live by faith, and then for the wrath of God is revealed. If the righteous shall live by faith, then the wrath of God may have something to do with death. But I want you to hold on to that for a moment, the connection between 17 and 18, because uh, I, I want to describe for us or define for us God's wrath. Right? It's, it's, not, it's not the most popular topic of discussion. Would you agree? Like bring it up at your next family gathering and just you know, have a nice lively discussion about God's wrath. Uh, I, I, I want to say though, uh, in the words of Tim Keller, if you don't understand or believe in the wrath of God, the gospel will not thrill, empower, or move you. I want to be thrilled by the gospel. How about you? Right? And so let's, let's take some time and understand and believe in the wrath of God. And there's two definitions of God's wrath that I want to work uh, with us uh, or, or want us to work with today. Uh, first, the wrath of God is God's personal anger against sin. Or put another way, it is God's holy and loving response to human wickedness. So unpacking that first definition, God's personal anger against sin, I want to be very clear, God's wrath is very different from human wrath. Our wrath is is caught up in a a passionate response of anger. You will feel my wrath. Uh, Boys, have I said that to you? No, I don't know. Um, It's it's tainted with self-righteousness and vindictiveness. It is imperfect. It can be unfettered anger. That's the, the wrath of humanity. But God's wrath is pure, and it is holy. Theologian John Stott put it this way. He said, The wrath of God is almost totally different from human anger. It does not mean that God loses his temper, flies into a rage, or is ever malicious, spiteful, or vindictive. The alternative to wrath, now listen to this, the alternative to wrath is not love, but neutrality in the moral conflict. And God is not neutral. On the contrary, his wrath is his holy hostility to evil, his refusal to condone it or come to terms with it, his just judgment upon it. It's a little different uh, perspective on it. That, that the opposite of God's wrath is not love, but uh, neutrality, and God is not neutral. And Jesus talks about uh, how God is not neutral to sin when he shares a parable in Luke 18, the first few verses. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want to. It's just the first few verses of Luke 18. Um, Jesus is sharing a parable about an unrighteous judge. There's a, there's a widow, a woman who has no one to care for her, and apparently there's a, there's a conflict, and it's making her cry. Um, and she, she comes to this judge. <laughs> it's great timing. I love it. Um, it's okay. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like this topic either. I'm working with it. I promise. Um, I don't mean to embarrass her or anything like that. It's, we all, yeah, us with kids, we understand. Um, Anyways, there's this widow, right? And she has this conflict, this adversary. She's going to this judge who, is, who has no fear of God, who, who just does not care about justice. That's not a very good judge, right? But she comes to this judge and says, give me justice against my adversary. And he turns her away. And she comes back and says, please give me justice against my adversary. And he turns her away. And she 
She's persistent. She comes back again and again. She says, please give me justice. And finally, he relents and gives her justice. But Jesus' point is, is God like this unrighteous judge? You can answer. No, he's not like this unrighteous judge. God will provide justice and swiftly. God does not ignore injustices or wrongdoing. That's what verse 18 says. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. He acts justly in his wrath. You might be asking yourself, how? How does God? Well, you're going to have to come back next week because the text for the rest of the chapter is, is how God's wrath is played out. But today's passage is really the why. Why does God act justly in his wrath? Because wrath is his response to wickedness. And that's our second working definition of God's wrath. It's God's holy and loving response to human wickedness. To understand this, we really have to go all the way back to the beginning uh, in Genesis 3. So I, I want to encourage you to turn to Genesis 3. I have to see when sin entered the picture. Genesis 3, 17 through 19. At, at this point in the creation story, God has created all things good. He's created man and woman. He's placed them in the garden to work it, to keep it. But he commanded, don't eat of that tree, right? That tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because when you eat of it, you'll surely die. So what did they do? Yep. Yep. We may have heard this story before. Uh, Adam's tempted, or excuse me, Eve is tempted by the serpent, and she takes the fruit and eats of it, and Adam's standing right there like a doofus, not doing anything, letting it happen. Uh, and, and, and then he takes the fruit and he eats it too. And this is what happens. Genesis 3, 17 through 19. This is God's response to their sin. And to Adam, God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, i.e., until you die. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. See, God's holy and loving response to human wickedness is to keep his word. He said, You sin, you'll die. Sin brings about death, death in creation and in humanity. Do you remember what I told you to hang on to back in Romans 1? I'll flip back over to Romans 1, the, the connecting word between 17 and 18. Right? The, the righteous shall live by faith, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. See, while the righteousness of God brings about life, the unrighteousness of men brings about the wrath of God, leading not to life, but to death. Death because of our sin and our unrighteousness. We deserve death. That's what we have earned because of our wickedness and our unrighteousness. Your objection may be, well, I'm not going around eating from the wrong tree. What, what am I doing wrong here? So, well, verse 18 says, what, what, is, what is provoking the wrath of God, that last part? says it's our suppression of the truth. We're the ones suppressing 
the truth. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Our unrighteousness is the mechanism by which we suppress the truth. And this suppression of the truth uh, manifests itself in two ways, both vertically and horizontally. Right? This, this vertical relationship, that we have a complete disregard of God's rights, the, the honor and thanksgiving that is due him as creator and sustainer, and also it's a disregard of human rights, that the love and compassion and the dignity and the justice that we are called to give one another, that the disregard of both vertical and horizontal relationships is a clear violation of, of what God called us and created us to do. Do you guys remember the, the greatest commandment that Jesus, uh, when, when he was asked, teacher, what, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is this vertical and horizontal relationship that's our Uh, Our suppression of the truth by our unrighteousness is a violation of the greatest commandment. We are not loving God. We are not loving neighbor. Instead of trusting and obeying the words of Jesus, we suppress the truth. And it's not passive. We're actively, like a giant coil or spring, we're we're pushing down and holding down the truth, making us culpable. Like We we know we should eat our veggies, but we're not going to do it. Right? We don't want to do that. It tells us that uh, for our suppression of God's will and his ways, the wrath of God is revealed. The unspoken objection here is how can God hold someone accountable for not knowing a God they've never heard of? Right? Well, verses 19 through 21 offer a response to that objection. So let's read these verses, 19 through 21. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And so they are without excuse. There's a lot of they, their, them language in this passage, and it really ties back to uh, Jew and Greek alike, all people. We need, we need to read ourselves into this text. It's not just someone else out there, the, the them, the they, the there. It's, it's us as well. Finish out verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Here, here's the point. Our accountability objection, it, it doesn't stand. Because God reveals himself in creation. God has revealed himself in creation. He is revealing himself through the things that he has made. Um, Psalm 19.1 says that the, the heavens above declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. And, and right here in verse 20, his invisible attributes, see this, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Now, I know it's not uh, everyone's cup of tea. It's not everyone's thing, but I personally love nature. I do. Nature. 
Um, uh, if we have a chance to go hiking in Mount Charleston or Red Rock or go to Springs Preserve, you know, we see, or, or just out in the desert, you can see all of the stars light up the sky. Um, the details of the gardens, they're, they're, there's amazing beauty in all of creation. And there's also great order. And that just resonates with me, right? I don't know if it resonates with you, but creation's beauty and order, it's a thing to behold. Now here comes a nerd alert. Uh, have you ever heard of the Fibonacci sequence? Okay, okay, some. Some, some are like, oh no. The Fibonacci sequence, let me just adjust my glasses here. Um, the uh, Fibonacci sequence is a recursive sequence generated by adding the two previous numbers in the sequence. Zero plus one is one. One plus one is two. One plus two is three. Two plus three is five. Three plus five is eight. Five plus eight is 13. And some of your eyes are like, oh, okay, let, I'm not a numbers person. Um, for my visual learners here, when you, when you put the sequence in a graph, you get what's called a, the Fibonacci spiral, and it looks something like this. Ooh, right? Okay, so this might not be beautiful to you, um, but the way that it is ordered, uh, there's, there's something that, that resonates with me, right? And it's not just on a graph. We see this everywhere in creation, so many places in nature. Uh, let's go to the next one. See a seashell. Or if you look down at your very fingerprints, it follows this sequence of order and beauty. And on a very large scale, let's go to the next one, even a hurricane right, follows this same type of sequence. And even on a much larger scale, let's go to the next one. Let's picture the galaxy. That is beautiful. I don't care who you are. That's beautiful. <laughs> but it's also ordered because it's created that way. And you'll find it in some of the most obscure places. Uh, this next one, this is, actually, this is actually the ovary of an anglerfish. Of all places, there it is, the Fibonacci spiral. Or uh, on this next one, another obscure location. Let's go to the next one. <laughs> this is actually the, the tale of a chameleon, right? The tale of a chameleon. And I think that this, this beauty and this order, it resonates so much with humanity that we even put it into a lot of pieces of art. So this, this next one is a very famous painting. You've probably seen it. it. It's the great wave. It follows that same sort of sequence and order. And I would argue that the, the Fibonacci spiral is just one way that God is showing humanity his divine nature, his perfection in ordering things just so. But what is our response to God's revelation of himself in creation? We suppress the truth. Even, even our brightest minds suppress the truth. Uh, Albert Einstein, you know, arguably a bright mind, yes, Invented the light bulb. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. Albert Einstein once said, physical concepts are free creations of the human mind and are not, however it may seem, uniquely determined by the external world. He's, he's saying basically all of this beauty, all of this order, it's all in our heads. I'm just making it up. It's not by design. Or, or the way that uh, verse 21 puts it, 
For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. If we really consider it, humanity's suppression of the truth is, is a real countercultural teaching. Right? Christians are accused of being repressed, oftentimes, not truly being ourselves, not opening up to the world as it really is. Well, this passage contends that we are all repressed. We're all holding down the truth that God is creator. And if God is creator, having created from the overflow of his very nature with all of its goodness and beauty and order, he rightly determines what is good and right for us. But instead, we all suppress the truth. Tim Keller put it this well. He put it well this way. As long as we suppress the truth, we will never understand who we are or why the world is as it is. It is not acknowledging the creator's right to be ruler that is repressive. Rather, it is the self-suppression of living in denial of that truth. Or in the words of Monty Python, the, the truth is calling out, help, I'm being repressed. Uh, but God is calling us to freedom in him. And yet what is our response? We have rejected our creator and instead embraced creation. Look at verses 20 through 23. Having revealed his eternal power and divine nature in the things that have been made, we instead did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. We became futile in our thinking, became foolish in our hearts, and continuing in verses 22 and 23, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Get this. God has placed a gift right before our eyes to see a part of who he is. And instead of honoring him and thanking him, we start honoring and worshiping the gift instead. That's what it is, right? We exchange the glory of God for the things that have been made, and that is called idolatry. Why would we, why would we do that? It may be uh, may have something to do with, with our ambition. Do you realize how ambitious you are? Like, oh, no, not me. I'm not ambitious. We humans are ambitious creatures, whether, whether we are, are seeking that next promotion or, are, or, or we're pursuing that next episode on the show. We just got to see what happens next. Just one more episode. I got to see the end of the story and figure this out. We have, we have career goals. We have education goals, fitness goals, relationship goals, financial goals, goals to watch all the seasons of Ted Lasso before my free one-month subscription runs out, <laughs> something like that. All of these, all of these goals and philosophically and in reality, uh, big word alert, we are telic creatures. We have a telos, an end. We are aimed at something. Why is that? Because that's the way that God made us. We are created that way. Humans are uniquely made in the image of God, made to relate to him in his world and reflect his nature and goodness to the world around us and Instead, as truth suppressors, we become foolish and misdirected worshipers. All the way back in the garden, 
back in Genesis 3, uh, before Genesis 3, God made us to be worshipers. And in Genesis 3, at the fall, we didn't just turn off the worship valve, right? We continued to worship. It's just pointed in all of the wrong directions. That's why we can be so restless. Is anyone restless this morning? We're seeking to be satisfied. We, we want to place the, the weight of our hopes and dreams on something that just will not hold that weight. <clears throat> Have you ever watched a hummingbird? Yeah? Yeah, beautiful creatures, right? Uh, friends of ours have multiple uh, hummingbird feeders in their backyard, and it's fascinating to watch these tiny little creatures flap their wings like 50 times a second, how quickly they're moving around. And a lot of times they don't even rest to, to feed. They just you know, hover and get the, you know, the sugary water and fly on. They're, they're just so restless, just like us. You ever feel restless? unsatisfied, unsettled. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, once wrote, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So what do we do with all of our ungodliness, our unrighteousness, our suppression of the truth, our futile thinking, our foolish hearts, our misdirected worship. I mean, there is a lot of bad news in these verses. As we work through the rest of Romans 1 and all through Romans 2, we'll see a lot, a whole lot of darkness, a clear description in no uncertain terms that we need salvation from our sin and from the just wrath of God that we sinners deserve for our suppression of the truth and our rejection of a good creator. Pastor Tony Morita puts it, until we know we need the gospel, we will not cry out in repentance toward God and in faith in the Lord Jesus. See, the God of creation is also the God of our salvation. He, he didn't stop his revelation of himself at creation. He entered into creation in order to save us. And I love the way that 2 Corinthians 4, 6 puts it. He says, says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, the same God who spoke light into existence, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The same God who spoke light into darkness speaks gospel light into the darkness of our hearts. We, we need a guide in the darkness. We need a savior. Remember, we, we have put a cork on the screw by our unrighteousness, right? We've, we've corked the truth. And in our unrighteousness, we have stopped honoring God and we've foolishly rejected him. If it's our unrighteousness that causes the suppression, what we need is the opposite of unrighteousness. We need Righteousness. Where does that righteousness come from? We, we, are, we already got a, I hear you whispering it. Don't get ahead of me. No, I'm just kidding. Say his name. Where, where does our righteousness come from? Jesus, right? If, we, if we're reading in verse 17, we got, a, we got a little sneak peek, right, before we got into our main text. The, the gospel reveals a righteous God. 
The righteous shall live by faith. Faith in what? Faith in who? I want you to turn one page with me over to Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. This is going to put a nice little bow on our time together. It's going to be very clear, very explicit where we get our righteousness and what we need to have faith in. Romans 3, 21 through 26. I want you to hear this this morning. After all this bad news, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, apart from God's commands and our obedience to them, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, to what? The, the righteousness of God, right? The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat, the same boat of shortcoming, rejection and sinfulness, rebellion against his will and his ways, and we all have the same need. We need to be made right. We need righteousness. And God gives it to us. We are, verse 24, justified. We are made right by his grace as a gift. Where does that gift come from? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. This is a very important word. Propitiation. Jesus was the appeasement to God's wrath. He was the satisfaction of the penalty that we earned because of our sin. Jesus took it upon himself. He is the propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. All this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, his great patience, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just, he's holy, he's right, he's fair. He's also the justifier, the one who makes right, the one who redeems. He is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Instead of suppressing the truth, Release the coiled tension. Give up your restlessness and look to Jesus. Jesus said very clearly, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We need to look to the cross of Jesus because the cross is the focal point of God's righteousness, his loving self-sacrifice for you and for me. It's at the cross. The cross is also the focal point of God's wrath. His holy and just punishment, punishment that we deserved for sin, placed on Jesus. The propitiation, the appeasement, the satisfaction of his wrath is in Jesus. The gospel reveals, yes, a wrathful God, one who will not stand idly by in the face of injustice or unrighteousness, because he will make right all things. And the gospel reveals a righteous God. In his righteousness, he makes a way of salvation in Jesus. 
And the gospel reveals a rescuing God. What God demands, God provides. What God requires, God satisfies. So that from beginning to end, it's all him. It's entirely his grace. From start to finish, it's a gift of grace provided freely to you by faith in Jesus. And that, my friends, is the really good news of the gospel. Amen. Yeah. Here's what I want to do. I want to I pray for us, and then we're going to go to the Lord's table together. God, you are good. You are righteous. You are holy. You are just. Your anger towards sin and unrighteousness is perfectly appropriate. It's entirely deserved. And God, you are uh, a rescuing God, providing uh, the way of escape, the way, the truth, the life in Jesus. Would you impress that truth upon our hearts today? Would you press it upon our lives that it may be a shaping power in our everyday walk as we fall more and more in love with you, fall further and further on the grace that you have provided to us in Jesus. It's in his holy and perfect name that we pray. Amen.